offering tonight is for batteries for the lapel mic. And so uh, we'll need several other offerings to cover this. Okay, that's great. Just minor tech, tech, techna problem. Okay, uh, let's open our Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Luke. Uh, several of the kids have asked about my Bible. Uh, it is not just a worn out family heirloom. This is alligator. And so that's what that is. I did not mean to hurt the alligator or kill it. I was target practicing in the river, and those alligators are so fast. He just swam right in front of the bullet. And then after three times being hit by bullets, then the Lord took him home. And so uh, you say, why did you do that? Because I wanted all my a bite to them when I preached. I just wanted it to, you know, Old and New Testaments and and so that's, that's what that's about. So uh, we're in Luke chapter 16 tonight. And we are, we are known for two things in our city in Napa, Napa, California. One, we have 680 wineries. So we, have, uh, we are the wine capital of the world. Uh, we do supply a lot of Baptist churches with their communion wine. Uh, we switched years ago from grape juice to real liquor because it just helps the spirit of the service. And we got rid of those little communion cups, and we use the 32-ounce cups now. And so we have communion Sunday morning, Sunday school, staff meetings, Sunday night, youth activities, and the offering plates are just overflowing with money. And so we paid off our building. We paid off the Lutheran building next door, the Catholic church in town. We're just helping everybody. And then we're also known for our uh, mental institution. We have the largest mental institution in the state of California. And that's why I felt so much at home here, Pastor. I recognize so many people I think I've seen before. And so uh, uh, you're, uh, you're happy in a great way. Uh, we've been encouraged just by being around your church, just to see a church that's not going south and shutting down, but revving up. Uh, just to have this theme, renew, shows your pastor's got a vision. And just being here, I've been strengthened being around you. And I'm not meaning this uh, uh, negative, ne uh, uh, badly, uh, but, but being around some people that have been saints of God for 50, 60 years that are now in their 70s and 80s here who still have a smile on their face, who are still making every single church service, who are going to finish strong. You're in the fourth quarter, and you're going to win the game. You've encouraged me. And sometimes as you get a little older, you don't have the energy you once had, but you can still influence. And sometimes you're influencing by just being in your place as people look and say, they're still here. They still believe. They're going to finish. So don't quit. The Lord's coming soon. It won't be long. We're going to be out of here. And uh, thank you for making the meetings. We're in Luke chapter 16. I want to just uh, uh, read a very familiar passage tonight. And a lot of times we think that this passage was written to help people get saved. But it's not really. Because we realize the Bible's written mostly to Christians to help us know how to live. So why did Jesus put this passage in the Bible? Notice what he says here in Luke 16. Quickly advertisement. My daughter CD is here. Even my daughter is here. So if you wonder if it's good, let her sing for you out in the lobby. She can sing any of them. You can just push any of these numbers. She'll just start singing. And so that's out there. Uh, facets of the Christ. Jesus is wonderful. 
At any angle you look at him, he's like a beautiful diamond. And so this book, 192 chapters, the character traits of the Son of God. Every verse in the Bible that deals with that trait. We better get to know him. We're going to spend eternity with him. Christian appearance. This is me with an afro, a sleeve of tattoos, piercings, all sorts of things. Does it really matter what a Christian looks like? We live in a day where people say, it doesn't matter how you look. Well, it's kind of interesting. I see a person with a football helmet and shoulder pads. I, somehow I judge them. I bet that's a football player. I see a guy with a, a holster and he's got a badge that says sheriff and uh, he's got a sheriff car. I, I, somehow I judge him. I think he's probably a sheriff. I see a guy, he's got uh, a lot of bags of white powder in the back seat of his car and he's dealing and selling drugs. I just kind of look at him and say he's, he's a deacon. Uh, no, excuse me, uh, he's, a, he's probably a drug dealer. And, and so we are judged, books are judged by the cover. You pick up a book, oh, that looks like a good book. So many of the people you influence will be just how you appear. And that's why the sharpest dressed, happiest, godliest, sweetest looking people ought to be Christians. And uh, we do attract, and it's got some scriptural uh, material on that. And then this will really encourage you, the Christian funeral. How to speak at a funeral. You're asked to say something. You're at a funeral where they don't give the gospel. When do you stand up and say something? And then the last chapter is how to prepare your own. Why you need to speak up, write down and say, what do you want at yours? Who wants to speak? What do you want on the tombstone? What scriptures do you want? What songs do you want? I know it's kind of morbid, but it's, but it's good to have some of these things written down. Several of you need to fill it out tonight. Anyway. <laughs> Luke 16. And let's stand, please. A uh, little seventh inning stretch. Ready? Done. Dun, 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 dun. You know that, right? You ready? Take me out to the church house. Take me out to the church. Give me a Bible and stack of tracks. Tell the world I won't ever be back for its root. Root, root for the Savior. If souls don't get saved, it's a shame. You can buy that CD in the lobby too, right after this. <laughs> But here we are, Luke chapter 16. I'll read aloud if you'd like to follow along. Verse 19, Jesus is speaking. This is not a parable. He is using names in this story. He never used names when it was just a parable. This is a true story. Luke 16, Jesus speaks. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, perhaps leprosy, we don't know. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. You can argue all you want. I believe it actually means he went to heaven can you imagine how poor people must feel in third world countries who've never had carpet on their floor, never seen a pane glass window, never had running water, no electricity. All they know is walking barefoot on dirt. And they die and go to heaven as Christians and they start walking on golden streets. Can you imagine? 
A little girl in Africa one time, she said, we eat mealy meal three times a day, a rice, kind of like grits. She said, we get to eat mealy meal three times a day. What do you eat in your country? And I bowed my head in shame. I said, you don't even want to know. Can you imagine how sweet heaven's going to be for some people? It said, and was carried into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. By the way, right now, they say the statistics is 100% of the population eventually dies. Verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives thy good things, likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is tormented and thou art, uh, excuse me, he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Father, bless this time. The reading of thy scriptures give us the undivided attention of every saint of God and every lost person here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There is no chapter like this in the entire Bible. It has got to be the most sobering chapter in Holy Writ. A man dies, goes to hell. Someone says, so where is hell? We're never told completely in Scripture is it on a distant star? I don't know. Is it in some other galaxy? I'm not sure. Some Bible scholars believe it's the center of the earth because Korah, the earth opened and he went down and it uses the word to the pit. Revelation calls it the bottomless pit. If someone died and went to the center of the earth, it would meet the criteria, fire, brimstone. Darkness. As the earth rotates, no one would ever hit the bottom. There would be a bottomless pit. I'm not sure where it is for sure, but according to Jesus, our Savior, there is a literal place called hell. He preached on it more than any other person, and he's the only one in the Scripture that was allowed to preach entire sermons on hell because he had seen it being God. 
So here is a man that dies. He has everything in this earthly life except salvation. He's got the toys. He's got the friends. He's got the possessions. He's got the fame. He's got the luxuries. But the moment he breathed his last breath, he goes to hell. By the way, why should we envy the unsaved crowd that, quote, has everything here? We envy them. They ought to be envying us. He dies and goes to hell, and it seems like... I had a microphone here somewhere. I thought there was one. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's good right there. I don't need it on. I just need to hold it. I'm not going to drop it. But it seems like the Holy Spirit takes a microphone and lowers it all the way into hell. He is falling. He is screaming. He is smelling the bodies of burning people. He is hearing the cry of the demons. He is filled with hopelessness, hopelessness, knowing it is eternal. And the Holy Spirit lowers this microphone all the way down till it's in front of this rich man's face and says, Do you have anything you would like to say? And as he speaks, the Holy Spirit records his words. Some scriptures, it's Jesus speaking, sometimes the Father, sometimes it's people, sometimes it's Satan. This passage we just read is a man in hell. It's his words. The story is told of a soldier. He came up to his chaplain and said, Chaplain, do you believe in a literal hell with fire? that lasts forever, where people that are not Christians burn for all eternity. The chaplain replied, of course not. The soldier looked at him and said, I will not be coming back to your chapel services. He said, well, how come? He said, if there's no hell, I don't need you. And if there is a hell and you've not told me about it, I sure don't need you. William Booth, founder of Salvation Army, when it meant salvation, when he brought his groups of soul winners out into the rough streets of England and they beat the drums and played the music and testified. Sometimes they were beaten and uh, dead animals thrown on them and rotten eggs and sometimes they were killed while they were preaching. When it was that kind of salvation, soul winning army, People asked William Booth, they said, how do you train your salvation soldiers to go out into the community and share the gospel? How do you do that? Booth replied this way, I know how I would like to train them. I would like to drop them into hell for 24 hours and then take them out. That's all the training they would need. There is a hell, it lasts forever. If we don't reach people, it's where they go forever. Somehow, we don't preach on this a whole lot. It is not a pleasant subject, but better an unpleasant subject than a pleasant life. And one day there will be a judgment 
We will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, judged for our good deeds since we've been saved, what we've done for Christ. It will last. We'll be rewarded. We'll have crowns. We'll get to cast them at the feet of Christ. But there'll be another judgment we will be at as well. The Bible says when the rapture takes place, so shall ye ever be with the Lord. That means we'll always be with Jesus. Guess where he's going to be? At the great white throne judgment. So that means we will be there. We will one day see every person who has ever existed. The well-known, the unknown, the politicians, the kings, the NFL players, the NBA players, the people we read about in history books, the billionaires, the millionaires, the famous people. We will see every one of them in person. And the unsaved, as God reads and looks for their name in the book of life and discovers it's not there, we will see them with our own eyes cast into the lake of fire. John Rice, the great evangelist, wrote a booklet called Tears in Heaven. He actually believed we would be weeping at that judgment because we'll see people we know cast into hellfire that we never witnessed to. I wonder, will they know we were the ones supposed to reach them? I wonder if they'll look into the crowd and see us and maybe say, hey, you were supposed to be a missionary. You were supposed to come to my island and you never did it and that's why I'm here. I wonder if they'll say, you were supposed to work a bus route on Saturdays. I lived in a little ghetto neighborhood uh, 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 within uh, just a rock throw from your church and you never came by. I was a little kid. I would have ridden the bus, but no one invited me. I think we'll know every person we were supposed to reach. I've been handed two gospel tracts in my whole life. And we live in the greatest Christian country in the world. Two times people have said, did you get one of these? And watch, after church, about 10 of the teenagers, did you get one of these? And as terrible as hell is, there's some things in hell I believe that our churches need. And I want to share those with you for about... 35 or 40 minutes tonight. Number one, in hell there is vision. The Bible says, and the man looked up and saw. In hell he saw something. Scripture in Proverbs says, where there is no vision, the people perish. What is vision? It's seeing things how they can be. It was Walt Disney, of course. He made someplace Disney. And I don't remember what it's called. M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U. Anyway, uh, but uh, he had made Disneyland and he had, uh, he had just, just finished making Disney World, and, but he passed away. And at the ribbon-cutting ceremony of Disney World, someone spoke up and said, man, I wish Walt Disney could have been here to see all this. And someone wisely said he did see all this. That's why it's here. By the way, Central Baptist Church, before there was a building, before there was any people, there was a pastor that saw this. And that's why it's here. I love Curtis Hudson's story. Curtis Hudson was a part-time mail carrier, part-time gas station attendant, part-time pastor trying to get a church going. 
And at night, when he shut down the filling station, old people, filling sta gas station, okay. Uh, anyway, shut down that filling station. He'd pull down the garage door. Curtis Hudson would line up the oil cans and preach to the oil cans. Two syllables, oil, oil cans. He'd preach, you must be part of can. You need to get saved. All right, every can is bowed. Every can is closed. The piano's gonna play. The organ's gonna play. If you wanna accept Christ, come forward. He saw himself preaching in great crusades. He even tied strings to the cans and he said, there they come. They're coming from the back. They're coming from the side. He pulled the cans to the front. I don't know if he baptized them or not, but all those cans came to the front. Curtis Hudson was visualizing himself one day preaching and many coming to Christ. I was at a service he preached. That service, 3,000 people walked the aisle to profess faith in Christ in one service. How come? He saw it before it ever happened. I'm hoping some young people in your youth are starting to get a vision in your mind, seeing yourself driving the church bus, seeing yourself leading the music, seeing yourself leading the choir one day, seeing yourself singing the solo, seeing yourself sleeping in the sound booth. No, I'm just gonna, anyway, they're awake, they're awake. See yourself preaching as an evangelist. See yourself doing those things. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Do you have a vision for what God wants to do in your marriage? Do you have a vision for what God wants to do with your kids? Do you have a vision of what you want to do this year for Christ? Number two, we must hasten tears. And said he looked up and cried. You know, we live in a very selfish society these days. It's all about us. We take one, one step, selfie, selfie, post, post, selfie. I'm brushing my teeth now. Snap, snap, post, post, Snapchat, Snapchat, uh, uh, that post, post. I'm doing that. It, it's, it's all about me. I wonder when is the last time we shed any tears for somebody else? wonder when's the last time we read the newspaper instead of just getting angry over America going down the toilet, we actually just wept and said, what has happened to our country? Maybe the last time we read the word of God and said, how come my heart is so cold? How come my heart's not beating? How come I'm not getting anything out of this? What is wrong with me? I love what scripture says. Jesus was carrying the cross. The women began weeping and he said, weep not for me. When we have problems, we want everyone's life to stop and everyone cry for us. I love this, uh, uh, though him, he sh uh, had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. In hell they have tears. In hell they have vision. Not only that, but in hell they desire the basics. What did the guy want in hell? He asked for one thing. He said, could I have some water, not trying to be funny. He didn't ask for a cold shower. He didn't ask for a meal. He didn't ask for a steak. He didn't ask uh, any, he said, can I have, uh, uh, have Lazarus dip his finger in water? Uh, can I have some water? Basics. You know where Christianity gets off? The basics. Pastor, when are you gonna preach on Revelation? We need to know about Iran and Iraq and a modern day prophecy, and I'm not against that. But Iran and Iraq and prophecy is not what I got problems with. I'm still struggling with Bible reading 
and prayer time and a pure thought life and controlling my tongue and getting to church three times a week and raising good kids and being the husband I ought to be and being the soul winner I ought to be and let my life shine for the Lord. See, it's the basics. We have an NFL team called the Oakland Traders. No, excuse me, the Raiders. They practiced three blocks from our house for years. It didn't do them any good. What a waste of time. You know, those guys are such thugs, the Oakland Raiders. When they huddle, you know what they call it? A drug deal. They said this year they're going to have a better team because 11 of them are paroling out of prison on the same Sunday. But I tell you why teams lose. One guy's offside. Tell you why they lose. A guy fumbles the ball. I tell you why people lose. Quarterback throws it to the wrong guy. Uh, I tell you why they lose. Uh, the route, the guy's supposed to turn this way instead of this way, and, and it's incomplete. Why do they lose? Someone lines up offside. It's always the basics. They try to tackle high instead of low. Uh, they, uh, they hit the quarterback in the face, and it's a penalty. It's the rule, just the simple rules. That's, where we got, that's what we need in our churches, someone that just sticks with the basics. It was Lee Robertson, great preacher. They called his church the Church of the Green Light. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive, get to church, get to church. And it was all about the basics. Someone came to Brother Robertson's office. They said, I need counseling. He said, were you in church Sunday morning? Uh, well, you know, I didn't get to make it Sunday morning. Were you at church Sunday night? No, I wasn't at church Sunday night. How about Wednesday night? Bible said, no, I wasn't there. Get out, get out. You don't mean it, get out. He just felt like you get to church and you do what you're supposed to and God will bless you. It's the basics. It's the basics. Well, me and my wife's having trouble, Pastor. Uh, do you ever have a date night? No, I'm too busy. It's hunting season, you know. Well, good. Marry that deer. <laughs> Marry that wide-mouthed bass. Well, my wife talks a lot, but not as much as a wide-mouthed bass. Kind of busy. We don't communicate. Do you ever listen? Do you ever talk? Do you ever give her anything? What about her birthday? What you doing? What'd you get her for Christmas? Well, she's not into stuff, so I just never bought her anything. Hey, it's the basics. Anyone struggling in a relationship or in their Christian life, it's always the basics. Bible, prayer, church, soul winning, faithfulness. It's all there is to it. Anyone can be faithful. Number next. Sermon's not going very well, Pastor. We'll be out of here in about three minutes, I think. What's in hell that we need in our churches? Fire. He said, I am tormented in this flame. I love what Jeremiah said. I think chapter 8, verse 20. He said, I'm fed up to hear. I'm discouraged. He said, I'm not even going to talk anymore in your name. You ever tell God off because you was discouraged? And then he says, but... His word was like a fire burning in my bones. Fire. John Wesley, just the perfect height for an independent Baptist preacher, five foot four and a half. What a man. John Wesley, uh, we actually went to his house, Brother John. My wife and I went to Wesley's house. He wasn't there, but uh, we went several years ago. Hey, folks, 1700s. John Wesley would preach outside to crowds of 20 to 30,000 people. They came to hear him preach. Someone said, Wesley, why do the crowds come hear you preach? He said, I just set myself on fire for God and the crowds come. 
Would people say you're on fire for the Lord? I had a roommate in college years ago. His name's Neil. He's in heaven now. And Neil was one of these real transparent guys. One day he just came into our dorm room and he said, I'm not right with God. We said, well, we already knew that. We live with you. He said, I'm going to go in my closet and I'm going to just light a candle and pray till I'm right. Okay, well, man, go for it. He closes the door. We hear him crying. We hear him praying out loud. He's confessing sin. We feel real uncomfortable. You know, here's our, uh, man, we're getting out of here. It's time for class. We go to class. It's been hours. We come back in our dorm room. We still hear Neil praying out loud, whimpering, crying. And then it got real quiet in that room, his closet. Then we heard, wow, a scream. We thought he's going to come out, you know, flames of fire on his head and speaking in tongues or something. No, 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 no. He had fallen asleep. And he was praying in his shorts. And that candle, he bumped it and that hot wax went all over his legs. So Neil was actually on fire literally for God. It was years ago in our church in Napa, I found out that there was a couple splitting up. They were having marriage issues. By the way, when couples struggle, we pray for them. We don't match them up with our friends. Well, I heard y'all going to get a divorce. Hey, you need to meet my cousin. Uh, you know, it, 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 uh, no, no, we want them to work it out. Well, I found out some man had been counseling this guy's wife about their marriage. And I decided it wasn't going to be like a Peyton place or a soap opera. And I, it was just on a Sunday night. I just said it and I'd never said anything like this. I said, hey. I found out that there's a man here tonight counseling another man's wife because their marriage is struggling. I said, we're not going to have that here. If there's a man that ever starts counseling my wife about something and I don't know about it, I will gladly do your funeral. I think it was a threat. And then what I said next, Pastor, I don't know. It must have been the fruit of the Spirit or something. I don't know what spirit, though. And then I said, and I will gladly spit on your grave. It was quiet. I never said anything like that. And then I grabbed my Bible, walked down the stairs, went out the side door, got in my car and drove home. That's how church ended. I didn't even give an invitation. I just had it up to here, said everything I wanted to, and I went home. What's fun living with the pastor? So that night I'm home first and I'm reading the paper. My wife comes in. Wow. What did you have for supper? I said, nothing. That's why I preached like that. I was hungry. <laughs> About that time, our daughters came in. Dad. I said, well, it's true. Everything I said, I know. We just never heard you say it that way. Then my boys came in. All right, Dad, you need to preach like that every, every Sunday. Man, it was great. Oh, yeah, 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 right. So the next week, I don't even know if I'd have a job. I said some stuff in a way. You know, I just never said it. I came in the next service, came up to the pulpit. Some people had decorated the pulpit. They had orange, red, and yellow flames of fire coming off of the pulpit. <laughs> On the microphone, they had hung hot jalapeno peppers. 
that an igloo ice chest with dry ice in it and smoke was billowing out of the pulpit. And there was a big sign on the pulpit that just said, keep the pulpit hot. And everybody in this room, it ought to be when your pastor cranks up the heat on a subject instead of saying, whoa, that's a little bit too much. You ought to say, hey, keep the pulpit hot. It purifies us. It calls young men to ministry. It keeps our church clean. It pleases God. Keep it hot, pastor. Come on, we can take it. Amen. Used to have a man, every time I'd preach a real hard message, he'd write me a letter. That's the way they used to always do it, pastor. Keep it up. We need it. These sissies in California can't take it. Come on, dish it out. Every pastor needs someone that says, bring it on. Are you on fire? Is your prayer life on fire? Is your soul winning on fire? Number next, in hell they have a desire to be around the unlovable. That's a strange verse. Where do you get that? He said, send Lazarus to dip his fingers in water and cool my tongue. He didn't say just cool my tongue. Send Lazarus, the guy with sores all over him. Now, I don't know how you men are here in Mississippi. But as California men, we don't like other men sticking their fingers in water and sticking their fingers in our mouth. It's just something about it. I mean, I just don't let anyone do that. Much less if they have sores all over their hands. That's a strange verse. How can you make that practical? All I can get out of it is this. He desired to be around the unlovable. Folks, if you're going to please the Lord in this church this coming season till the Lord comes back, you're going to have to be real patient with outsiders. You're going to have to be real understanding to new converts. They're just getting saved. Sinners act like sinners. They come with baggage. They may not come with husband, wife, three little kids. They may be living together. They may have marijuana smoke reeking on them. They may have every tattoo that there is. That's who Jesus died for. They may be in the miniskirt. They may have their pants sagging. They may have their pants all tore up with holes and, and, and all these modern things. That's who we're after. My daughters were always on bus routes as teenagers. And their buses would go to the, some of the most ghetto neighborhoods. And I don't remember how many times They'd come in from the bus route and say, Dad, Mom, where's the red shampoo? Where's the shampoo for the lice? Uh, where is it? We're holding a little girl on our lap, look down. Her head was crawling with bugs and lice. We don't want to have to shave our head. I remember saying to them, you don't have to be on a bus route. You don't have to work on that bus route and be a bus worker. And they'd always with tears say, but Dad, who's going to love those little kids? Who's going to love those little kids? They even wrote this little song. Get your Kleenex ready. You ready? Who put those bugs in my hair and made them all to lay eggs? I know it was lies. I know it was lies. There's no such thing as moving dandruff. I know in my hair it was lies. That's on one of the CDs too. You can get that. What a guy led to Christ. He was 19 years of age. 
living with his girlfriend, started coming to church. Wasn't long before he learned how to win souls. His dad was in prison. He led his dad to Christ on the phone through the glass at the prison visit. He told me about it. Pastor, I want my dad. I want him. Same name as me, Ernie. I want him. He bails out Father's Day. He wants to get baptized. I said, can't wait to meet him. Father's Day, this guy's got tattoos all the way up around his neck. I can see them on his hands, just tattooed up. He said, want to meet you, Pastor. I'm Ernie's dad. I'm getting baptized today. I said, that's great, man. I heard about you getting saved. So he starts to walk down the stairs in the baptistry. He's got tattoos on his feet. He's got tattoos on his legs. He's got tattoos all down his sleeves. He's got them. He's starting to get in the, the water and he spent half his life in prison. And he said, Pastor, I've done a lot of sinning. And when you're the pastor, you always try to act so, uh, 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 shocked. You? Half your life in prison? You're all tattooed up? There's more ink on you than... Anyway, you? He goes, yep. We were in a building project at that time. I wasn't all there. I was always there, but I wasn't all there. I was, I was burnt out. And he said, I want you to hold me under a little extra today when you baptize me because I've sinned so much. I just want it to take. I said, all right, you got it, brother. And you know how it is. If you don't know the person getting baptized, sometimes you're... Balancing your checkbook, you're texting someone, you're repolishing, touching up your nails, you're, you're texting someone. And it was one of those Sundays. He got in the water, I said, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death. <laughs> and all the people who weren't paying attention, after the silence for a while, it's like, I think the pastor snapped. <laughs> he told me he had tapped me when it was time to come back up. He never tapped me. That next Thursday at the funeral service, <laughs> we, finally I said, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. People, seriously, they began cheering. He's alive. Pastor, let him up. He's alive. He, he lives. He lives. Is everyone welcome to at least walk in and sit here and hear the word of God? No matter what color, no matter what background, no matter how they smell, no matter what they're wearing, can they come in and hear about the love of Jesus? What's in hell that we need? A soul winning vision. A soul winning vision. We were trying to come up with some new gospel tracks. And we have hot air balloons that fly over our city often. You'll hear shh, shh, shh. You look out the window and there's this great big hot air balloon. So we decided we'd put those on our gospel tracks. We have vineyards everywhere, so the vineyards, hot air balloon. And then it's got this uh, old picture of me with black hair. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's in there and the gospel's in there. So we had just printed these and I grabbed a stack. I ran to 7-Eleven to get a soda on the way out soul winning. And there was a lady with a dot on her forehead, a foreign lady. And I said, here, 
give you something to read. I'm heading out the door. She says, how much? I'm heading back. I said, it's a gospel track, invitation to church. They're free, no cost. There you go, heading out. How much? I say, you don't get it, do you? All right, so it's, it, it, it is free, gospel track. Here's the map on the back. It, it, here's the gospel, and here it is. And I'm heading out. She goes, how much to ride the balloon? <laughs> we didn't even know how to make a gospel track. What a man that got saved in our church on a big day he was the biggest methamphetamine producer in Napa County. He didn't just peddle it and sell it. He made it. Well, when he got saved on the big day, he said, Pastor, a lot of temptation. Give me something to do. Keep me busy. I said, we have a multi-lift printing press. Those old printing presses, you can print the tracks. He said, I'll do it. Monday nights, he'd print $20 bills. Tuesday night, $100 bills. Thursdays, he'd print the gospel tracks. So he's printing them, I mean, by the tens of thousands. The room is just filled. And we're giving them out and soul winning and putting them on doors. I knock on the door. A lady said, I told myself if I ever get another one of these, I'm coming. And I guess someone put it on my door and it blew in my bush. So I pulled it out. I'll come Sunday. She came. She got saved. She got baptized. She started coming. She got involved. One soul winning night, she looked and she saw the guy who printed the tracks and said, Pastor, who is this guy? I said, well, he got saved a while back. He's the guy that he's doing such and such. And one night he goes, Pastor, who's that, who, who, who's that new lady? I said, well, you know, she's this new convert. Well, in the course of time, they fell in love. So at the wedding, I told the story. I said, he's the one that printed the track that got her saved in church. And now they're getting married. So what's the lesson in the story? If you're single, you throw tracks in people's bushes and you hope one of them marries you. That's what you do. So I'm in the Philippines. Where's our Filipino ladies? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Come on, ladies. Filipino ladies with the good eyes. Come on. Okay, okay, good. It's down to one. We had three. Okay. So I'm in the Philippines. I don't usually tell our church members if I'm out of town, I want them to feel secure, long story. So it's big time change difference. I'm laying down in bed. It is like three o'clock in the morning, Napa, California time. I just got to bed in the Philippines. I am whipped, time change, uh, preached. I'm laying on the bed and my phone starts going off. Napa Police Department. I'm saying, what has my wife done now? And I, what? And you know how it is, you men, no matter what time the phone rings, you act like you're still awake. <coughs> hello, uh, uh, hello, pastor, did I wake up? Oh, no, it's two in the morning. I'm, I always speak like this. And uh, so I said, hello. They said, is this Pastor Ray? I said, yes, it is. Is this the police? Yes, it is. This so-and-so from Napa uh, Police Department. I said, is, every, is, my, is my family okay? Yes, your family's okay. Your wife gave us your number and told us, what were you doing at my house at three in the morning? They said, we have a jumper on the overpass of Highway 29 in Napa. There's a guy that's climbed over the fence. He's getting ready to jump into the oncoming traffic and kill himself. I said, what has that got to do with me? They said, he's asking for you. I said, who is this guy? 
and they gave me his name. I had no idea who he was, but he had come a few times, so that makes me his pastor. You know, if they come once, oh yeah, that's my pastor. And he was gonna kill himself. And I said, what do you want me to do? They said, I'm a negotiator. So we want a recording. We want to record you and we'll play it on the loudspeaker to try to talk him down. I said, are you kidding? Are you ready to record? I said, no, I'm not ready. Give me a minute. He said, all right, you ready? I said, I'm ready. We're recording. I said, don't do it. What are you thinking? Get off that bridge right now. <laughs> then I said, Jesus loves you. So they recorded it. And there was a whole crowd of people. They had it all uh, 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 gated off and they had a crowd of people. Uh, Dog yeah, is it crowds of people there? And then the police officers got it on the loudspeaker playing my voice. After hours, the guy finally gets down, lives. I get back in the country. I'm out soul winning about three weeks later. I knock on a door. And lady says, I used to come to your church. I got baptized at your church. I said, great. She said, these are my kids. I got teenagers. And I got to share the gospel with one. They got saved right there. About that time, a police car pulled up. She said, my husband's a police officer. I said, well, good. I'd like to meet him. He comes up. I shake his hand. Real tough looking guy. And I said, I'm Mike Ray, pastor at Hopewell Baptist. He said, I know you. I said, well, I don't know you. He said, I played your recording three weeks ago on the bridge. I said, no way. He said, I'll visit your church Sunday. He came that Sunday, raised his hand, wouldn't walk the aisle. Went by the house. He was raised Mormon. But it didn't work for him. It doesn't work for anybody. Not totally. Only truth satisfies, satisfies. Went by the house, went through the gospel with him. He said, my wife has something that I don't have. And I saw you smiling on Sunday. It is evident you've got something that I need and I want it. Show it to me. I said, I'll be glad to. Went through the gospel. He got saved. I said, now Sunday, I want you to make it public. Don't be ashamed you got saved. That means, you know, we'll play the invitation. You walk forward, we'll announce your name. If you want to get baptized, you can, but at least I want to announce it. Don't be ashamed. because I'm not ashamed that I got saved today. The next day, he sends me a text, and it says, how's this for not being ashamed? What in the world? Then it was a picture. Show me the picture. He tattooed the date on his wrist. He tattooed the date on his wrist that he got saved. Thank you, you can turn it off. So we have tattoo artists at the back door. <laughs> on the way out tonight, if you're not ashamed, you got saved. We're getting tattooed. Uh, anyway. A soul winning vision. I'm done with this. A desire for the miraculous. The man in hell said, would you send Lazarus back from the dead? Lazarus was dead. That would have been a miracle.
Heard about a radio preacher. He was on the radio. And he said, folks, I know that uh, the Bible talks about Moses crossing the Red Sea. Well, I've done a lot of research and modern archaeology says there's no such thing as the Red Sea. They crossed the Reed Sea. It was just a body of water just six inches deep. It was no miracle that they crossed the Reed Sea. The Bible doesn't have any miracles. Just a real doubter. Right after him, an old country preacher was on. He said, I know the brother a few minutes ago said that it was no miracle and Moses crossed the Reed Sea. He said, I believe he's wrong and it's a lie out of hell, but I believe he crossed the Red Sea like the Bible says, but if he did cross the Reed Sea, it is just as much a miracle for God to drown all of Pharaoh's armies in six inches of water. God is the God of miracles. <laughs> the boy was in church one day, came up to me. He said, Pastor, how come God doesn't do miracles anymore? I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, he like fed the you know, manna falling from heaven and multiplied the lad's lunch and raised Lazarus from the dead. How come God doesn't do miracles anymore? And I said, son, are you saved? He said, yes, sir. I said, that's the greatest of all miracles. For God to die for you and rise from the dead and erase all of your sins. You know, you're a miracle here tonight. If you really look back to your family history, it's a miracle. God kept you alive long enough to hear the gospel. Maybe you were raised in a gospel, God-fearing home. Maybe it wasn't. It's a miracle. Get this. You spin the globe just a little bit. And you and I could have been born in Afghanistan. You and I could be born in India and we would be the one with the dot on our head or maybe learning how to strap bombs to ourselves and blow us and others into eternity. It could be us bowing down to the totem pole. I like that song. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say? It's a miracle. I was on a plane years ago. I'm done. And I know some of you think, you know, how do pastors live in, in public? You know, we don't get on the plane and say, if you die today, you're going to heaven. How about you, ma'am? Uh, uh, here's these tracks. All right, pray. We don't do that. I'm sitting down, and I don't talk about getting saved the first two minutes. Once the plane took off, I opened my Bible and I'm starting to read some. And the lady kindly kind of glanced over and she said, uh, you a pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. A little while later, she said, I bet your daddy was a pastor. I said, no, ma'am. Mafia. She didn't speak the rest of the flight. <laughs> You're looking at the most unlikely guest speaker to ever speak at Central Baptist Church. You know why? God did a miracle in our family. And he's still in the miracle working business. I wonder, is there something in the place called hell that you need?
is there something in that story where God would say, that's something you're lacking right there. He didn't put that story in the Bible to entertain. He put it in there to change us. If you're here tonight and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you're the one that we're talking about tonight. He would have left heaven and died just to save you. He loves you. If you're not 100% sure and all doubt's gone that you've been saved, tonight's the night. Leave the pride behind. We're for you. If you can't get saved in front of this crowd, you can never get saved. We want you saved. Better a little embarrassed here than totally embarrassed for all eternity. Maybe you're here tonight, you're a young man or a young lady, and you've been teeter-tottering on this thing of, I wonder if God wants me in ministry. There's a world that needs you. A world that needs you. Maybe there's something in hell that you need. Whatever the need tonight, I hope you'll give it to him. Heavenly Father,